Well, good morning and welcome back for our third session of Serving from the Abundance of Christ. And as you know, um, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we're considering the disciples' life-changing and world-changing experience doing ministry with Jesus. And so far, we've looked at the fishing miracle and the disciples' call to ministry in Luke 5. And then last week, we looked at the loaves and fish miracle in Matthew 15. And through these four sessions, we're exploring how Jesus challenges his followers to think beyond their human limits and to serve from his abundance using the things they already have. Today, we're going to go to John chapter 13, and I've put that on your handout. And this is sort of a fast forward. You know, we've we had the beginning of Jesus' ministry with the disciples. Then we had one of the miracles, and a lot of things have happened between then and now where we're going today, but we only have four weeks. So, um, But we're going to look at Jesus washing the feet of his disciples today. And as we read together this passage, I've had to cut out a few verses to just for the sake of space, um, but you may want to go back and look at the whole passage as a whole um, on your own later. But as we read today, I want you to look and listen for details about love, love and affection, and details about humility. And so I'm going to split you into uh, groups again. And then um, what you're going to look for is an item or an action that shows that affection or an item or action that shows that humility. So what do we have? Okay, so the table in the back and then these two on the side, I'll have you look for signs, symbols, pictures of love and affection in the passage. And then this table up here, two tables on the side, you'll be looking for evidence of humility, items or actions that show humility. And you can find the passage on the front of your handout that should be in the middle of your page. Feel free to mark this up to help you as we go along. This is John 13, 1 to 18 and 33 to 38. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, you do not know what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I washed you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, one who is bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet and had put on his robe and had returned to the table, he said to them, 
Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but it is to fulfill the scripture. The one who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. All right, the group of tables on this side. What did you notice about love and affection in this? Share out loud. Loved them to the end. Mm. Loved his own. He sets them an example several times. I mean, certainly the washing feet and the serving. Mm. So showing them an example, loving them by showing them how to live. I think there's, there's several times here where he tells them what's going to happen. Mm. Which seems to me a, a, a way to show affection. Yeah. You know, even yeah, a way to show affection is to prepare them for the things to come. Mm-hmm. Even the hard things, you know, with them losing one of their little community, Jesus speaks to that, and that is loving. What else? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he's just sort of scooping them in. Yeah. Little children. Explained what he did to them and why he did it. Hmm. Yeah, so he explains what he did. Lovingly shows them what all that meant instead of just expecting them to figure it out. Yeah guiding them. Okay, what about humility on this side? What signs, pictures, actions show humility here? Bending over and washing the feet. Their feet was very humbling. Mm, Washing feet would be very humbling. And they told them to wash each other's feet. Mm. So showing, being humble to show them how to be humble. 
So in humility, he took on all those roles of, of a servant, gathering, getting the water together, grabbing the towel, doing the washing and the wiping. Thank you, Clarissa. So he's talking about the role of master and servant or master and student and showing them what humility looks like too. Yeah, reminding them of that. All right, well, let's go through this passage together. Um, Those are some great insights. Thank you for sharing. As we look at the first uh, few verses, we see this strong foundation under Jesus' love and ministry. In verse 1, we read that Jesus had this knowledge that his hour had come to depart from the world and go back to the Father. And then in verse 3, we read that he knew the Father had given all things into his hands. So we see that the service to come in a few verses from now is strengthened by a deep knowing and connection with God the Father. And in this connection, Jesus knows his own authority, his identity, and his destiny that are all in God the Father. And that just stuck out to me as um, this foundation that would allow him to show humility and appear in a a weakness. Um, The love between God the Father would then, I picture it like overflowing into this wash basin to be poured out to the disciples in this room. And it's in this strength that Jesus gets up from the table and prepares to serve the disciples in this very unconventional way that they're not expecting. So the reality that his hour has come means that he is ending his earthly ministry, this few years that he's had tending to these close disciples. So you can imagine that that would affect the mood in the room. Um, I don't know about you, but endings of eras or endings of anything it's very sentimental to me in fact um, last week i sent a song to audrey that had made me cry when my youngest turned five so and that was a long time ago but i can still almost feel it right now um i mean i even get misty-eyed when i see the end the finish line of a race whether it's a middle school race or professional runners running, even if I don't know anyone in the race. If I see people coming across that finish line, there's just something about it. So when it comes to something as momentous as the end of someone's career or the end of someone's years of ministry or a person's life, it can really be hard to block that ugly cry. Um, I remember a few years ago when my dear friend's dad, who was a pastor in a nearby town, was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and he was stepping down from his uh, ministry to focus on his final days um, ending well. And the church held a retirement party for him, and really it was a living memorial service. And I remember the raw emotion and tenderness in that room as we all got to speak to him, what he had meant to us, both you know those of us who had grown up with him just hanging out in the house, or those who had had grown spiritually under his years of pastoral ministry. 
And I remember that I kept trying to share my testimony of the things he had taught me and what his cheerfulness had meant to me. But every time I started to speak, it just, I would just, um, it was like a floodgate of emotion just that would come. Um, and so as I think about that epic moment and just all the emotion there, I kind of, I picture that in this room of Jesus with his disciples at the end of these years of very active, very close ministry. And I can imagine that there would be some, you know, tears wanting to break loose there too. And this is a time for Jesus to begin to leave some last words and last impressions on the disciples. I want us to notice the repetition of the word love in the last half of verse one, as Mandy pointed out to us today. This is a Hebrew style of writing that repeats a word to show intensity of a feeling or action. So we see in verse one, it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Loved, loved. And this is agape love. And agape love is a selfless love between God and humans. And you'll see it seven times in just this chapter alone, if you read the whole chapter. So Jesus has loved them to the end, to the finish. And then as you go ahead in John, you'll see that he loves them to the, it is finished on the cross. So we see that Jesus' humble acts of service flow both from his secure connection with God the Father and a tender love for his people. But while there's all this tenderness in the room, um, love between this group of people who, that has worked together um, over the last few years, there's trouble brewing in the background. And we see that the devil, has, the accuser, has already put it into the heart of Judas to turn Jesus into the religious authorities who are seeking to arrest him. It just really captures my attention that Jesus leads in love and serves with strength even while trouble is lurking for him. How does he do this? Well, it goes back to what we've already read, that he has a knowledge of who he is, what he has available to him, and where he's going, all based in his connection with God the Father. And while Jesus knows that Judas is up to no good, there's this deeper knowing that the Father has given all things into Jesus' hands, and that Jesus has come from God and is going back to God. So there's a confidence there. Scattered throughout the whole chapter, there are a lot of references to the evil plan of Judas and Jesus' knowledge of it. So Jesus is definitely not taken by surprise, but he does have emotions about this. And there was one verse I wasn't able to fit on our handout today, but verse 21 shows that he was troubled. And this is the same word that is used for when Jesus is troubled about the death of Lazarus. I mean, he's losing a friend. So he has emotion about this. Um, and... I noticed two things, that he, he does serve Judas, he still serves Judas, but he doesn't pretend not to know Judas's real heart and intentions, and he makes that known to the community there. And I see that as Jesus showing love both to Judas by calling out his sin, maybe even giving him one last chance to um, not participate in this act of evil. And then also to make known the dysfunction and danger hidden in Judah's heart so that the group of disciples wouldn't be caught by surprise either. Then as I read verses 4 and 12, those are sort of our bookends of the whole foot washing scene here in the room. And as I see verse 4, Jesus is, this is a picture of Jesus emptying his glory 
um, like Paul writes about in Philippians 2, 7 to 8. Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. So I want us to notice in John 13, 4, how Jesus takes off his outer robe or mantle. This is a piece of clothing. It was often a vibrant color that would go over a plain tunic, and the tunic would be about down to the knees usually for most people. And as Jesus removes this piece, it can be kind of like a robe or a big scarf sometimes, um, and goes down to just the unadorned tunic, he is now dressed as a common servant. And I, I just love the symbolism that Jesus shows here, that in coming to dwell with us on earth, he took off his glory and then took on the regular form of a human, humbling himself and getting down into the dirt to serve us and save us. He completes the look here by taking this towel, tying it around him as a belt, and he's showing the disciples what he's already done in his incarnation and coming to earth and what he'll further do as he submits to the cross in the days ahead, the shame and the suffering there. So there's no question in that plain tunic and that towel that his intention is to appear before them as a common servant. Then at the end of this section with verse 12, it feels to me like a picture of Jesus returning to the glory and presence of the Father as he puts his robe back on, returns to the table. Um, in this scene, Jesus was heading toward the crucifixion, then the resurrection and ascension. And at that la the Last Supper here, He's sharing these final teachings for the disciples to live by in the days to come when he's not physically with them. So Jesus, dressed as a servant, pours water into, a into the wash basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet. So foot washing it was an everyday custom in the time of Jesus. It reminds me a little bit of... Um, so I lived in Cairo for a summer, and I remember there were a lot of carts that would pull around. They would have a bread cart that would go through with just stacks of pita bread on it, and it was pulled by a donkey. So I would go out in my flip-flops, and you'd have to look around for the donkey do. <laughs> and uh, I just uh, think, you know, back to this time of Jesus' time, they didn't have restrooms inside the house, so they would pour the chamber pots out onto the um, streets. So imagine all the things that you'd be dodging or taking on your feet as you come. It was an everyday custom for hygiene as you would come into a home. And in Jesus' time, sometimes people would wash their own feet, but if a family was wealthy, they may have servants, and especially female servants would wash the feet of household members or guests as they came into the house. It was also customary for a wife to wash her husband's feet or for children to wash their father's feet. Students may at times choose to wash their teacher's feet. And this showed both um, honor and devotion, and it was also for hygiene. So it could be an act of servitude or an act of honor and devotion. When Jesus dressed like a servant and picked up the washing bowl, he was choosing to do the work of women, children, and servants. And I wonder what Jesus would choose today, what menial tasks that we associate with those who have less power or money would he invite us to take on and invite us by showing us how it's done. So Jesus is washing the disciples' feet and then he comes to Simon Peter and we have this funny little passage here where Jesus is saying, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? You'll never wash my feet. 
After all these years of ministry, Peter still does not fully understand the nature of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. Peter is so well-meaning, but he's, you know, as usual, as in many of his, um, the ways he shows up in scripture, he's a little presumptuous and impulsive. Without realizing it, he starts to boss the teacher around. Even while he's acknowledging Jesus' you know, position of authority and honor and acknowledging Jesus' leadership, Peter's telling him how to be a leader. Even after Jesus tells Peter that he needs to sub submit to himself to the foot washing, Peter is still trying to tell Jesus just how to go about it by saying, no, not just my feet, my hands and my head too. He goes from saying, you'll never wash my feet, to telling him to wash his whole self. And I like how New Testament scholar Mark Dodds wrote, a moment ago he told his master he was doing too much, now he tells him he's doing too little. He had participated, Peter had participated, um, acting out in great faith throughout these years of ministry. He had helped preach and minister to others, yet he still needs to have the humility to submit to having his feet washed by Jesus. It has to become clear to Peter that it's not his work or his devotion, but it's the work of Jesus that is central. This is no place for Peter to be a hotshot. The work of Jesus is the basis for Peter's spiritual inheritance, and the work of Jesus will also be the basis for his sacrificial service in the years to come. If Peter is ever going to be fit for following the example of Jesus and serving well, he needs to humble himself and be served in Jesus' chosen way. Right now in this scene, that chosen way is washing his feet. The next day, it, it will be by Jesus going to the cross to serve him. So as we think about this, our part in Jesus has to be based on Jesus's loving sacrifice and service for us, not our own work and devotion. Our acts of service then flow from that connection with him. Then in verses 13 to 16, Jesus explains what he's done and challenges the disciples to follow his example. And this is going to be a challenge for sure. So if we read Luke 22 and other places in the Gospels, you'll remember that this bunch of disciples is a status-seeking group. And they compete with each other. They have fought over seats. They fight over positions of authority. They try to be the teacher's pet. And the disciples would surely have been honored to wash their rabbi's feet. But when it came to being told to wash each other's feet, that would be a different story. Pride and competition would naturally well up. And so we see Jesus isn't saying, now wash my feet in return. Jesus says, no, I want you to do the harder thing. I want you to wash the feet of those you want to outrank. And so I wonder, as we look at this, how we might relate with this. What kind of resistance would rise up as we think about doing these menial tasks and serving others and tending to them in the way that Jesus tended to his disciples? What kind of resistance do you notice rising up in yourself? Where do you see a sense of competition in yourself or in your community of faith? These are some important questions. I've left space in your, uh, on the list of reflection questions for you to look at that later this week. In verses 33 to 36,
Jesus softens the hard reality that's going to come in the next few days with this term of endearment, just like Anne brought up, little children. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. He continues to drive home the point that he's not going to be with them uh, in the days to come in the same way that he's been with them in these years of ministry. And these have got to be hard words for the disciples to hear. They haven't seen the post-resurrection yet, so they don't have a full, clear picture of what all this is going to look like. Remember how we started the first session with, they left everything to follow him. And now he's saying that he's going to be going away and they can't come where he's going. They've been traveling from town to town, watching him heal and preach, taking risks, listening, learning, participating in his miracles. And they probably thought they were going to be leaders in a government that he was going to set up in the days to come. Then to be hearing that this isn't the way it's going to be, it had to be pretty hard um, on their, their emotions and their worldview. And also imagine how hard it would be to go on without the physical presence of such a loving leader. What would the community, this community of competitive guys, and you know there were women disciples too, and a larger group of disciples that would follow Jesus, what would all of that feel like without Jesus being physically present? His words in this section in 33 to 36 show us just how important it will be for the disciples to love and serve each other as he goes back to the Father. This new command to love goes with the old command to love, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself, but Jesus elevates the commandment. He calls his followers to this new level that they are to love one another just as they have been loved by Jesus. That is a high calling, but he gives it to them anyway. This humble, selfless, loving agape service to each other will be the hallmark of those who have been with Jesus. Back in verse 17, it says, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. And this is the same word for blessed that we saw in the Beatitudes and Sunday morning sermon. This kind of humble service is the stuff of flourishing. This is a life of flourishing. It's good soil that grows our godly character, both in individual believers and builds community around those believers and between them. So now that we know these things and now that the disciples know these things, it's time to do them and to flourish. Peter has questions about all this, as Jesus saying, where I'm going, you cannot come yet. And, you know, Peter feels this authentic loyalty to Jesus. And I think that he is prepared. He feels he's prepared to go with Jesus no matter the cost. At this moment in his passion and emotion, he does feel like he would die for them, for him, if that's what it came to. But Peter is so driven by emotion, and emotion alone is not going to be able to sustain him through the events of the crucifixion, or you know, witnessing those events, or um, a life of persecution and ministry in the years to come. Theologian Adam Clark wrote, Christ must first die for Peter before Peter can die for him. So Peter's forced to face his weakness and receive the service of Jesus, uncomfortable as that might be for him. First in the foot washing, and then he will receive the service of Jesus on the cross. Christ's love in this way will be able to permeate his life in the days and years to come. 
And so for us, our commitment to Jesus must be built on the service and sacrifice of Jesus and the Holy Spirit's empowerment, not on our own strength or self-confidence or passion or our sense of loyalty. So we're going to talk more about Peter's transformation next week, but for today, I want us to reflect on what Jesus has modeled and commanded in this passage. From 2019 to 2021, I got to help write and research this book. This is the second book in the transformation story of a church in Duluth, Georgia, and it has stories of mindset shifts in this multicultural congregation. God gave this church a vision to welcome all people from their community that was becoming increasingly diverse in the Atlanta area. Things really started to change after the Olympics in 96. And so there are people from many different ethnicities, cultures, and languages. And the pastor of this church, Pastor Mark Hearn, when he began, uh, when he moved down there to minister there, he felt God impressing on him the need to lead this 130-year-old church that was predominantly white to start looking more like their neighborhood. And there were some growing pains, and so those are shared in here. But eventually, these people put their southern hospitality to good use and learn how to let Jesus' humble attitude of service show up in their congregation in this new way. The leadership and the congregation have not only invited their multi-ethnic neighbors to attend the church, but they've also helped them to feel at home in other ways by singing worship songs in their original languages, by allowing them to teach the congregation how to celebrate some of their holidays, and by opening up positions of leadership so that people of all backgrounds have a voice in the ministry of the church. When I visited the church in 2019, I saw a beautiful piece of African cloth on the wall and this was donated by members from Uganda. In their culture, this is called a kanga cloth, K-A-N-G-A. And the kanga is a special cloth that can be used as a towel, a tablecloth, or an apron, so you can tell why it came to mind as I was studying this passage today. So the kanga cloth comes with an air of hospitality. And then each kanga cloth usually has a phrase woven into the edge of it, and this one had the phrase in Swahili, I am not trained in how to pronounce Swahili, but I'm going to try here. It says, Upendo wa munga umetueka pamoja. And that means the love of God has put us together. And it's just such a testimony of what God has done in that church. And that's the testimony that God wants to be true in all of our lives in different ways as we take on his life of service. So we are Jesus' apprentices now. And as his apprentices, our lives should be marked by love, by mutual affection, by hospitality, and goodwill toward our fellow believers and our neighbors. If I'm not seeing this kind of evidence in myself, I need to go back to the servant's towel, back to that uh, belt that he tied around himself, the apron, the conga cloth. And maybe I need to go back to the story of the loaves multiplying and consider how Jesus gave the loaves to the disciples. He broke the bread and gave the pieces of the loaves to the disciples, and then it multiplied from there. And I need to remember that Jesus gives, and then from what I give to him, I give to others. Jesus is still tending to us, even though he's not physically present, he's tending to us by the word that has been preserved for us and by the power of the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. And it's only as we allow him to tend to us by reading his word and prayer in prayer and community 
that we can gather the humility and strength that, that it takes to serve in the way that we see pictured here. So if you'll just pray with me now, I want us to consider just how we might receive Jesus' love today so that we can even fathom what it's like to love just as he loved us. Jesus, we can model your humble service because you loved us first. I pray today that you'll give us fresh ideas and tangible ways to serve our community of faith and to serve our neighbors so the world will know that the love of God has brought us together. Amen.